Awesome. Well, if you were with, a, with us, first, dismiss you. Thank you, guys, waving at me there. If you guys were with us uh, last Sunday, you know um, I began just a two-part message last Sunday and this Sunday that I'm calling Fully Conformed to Christ, Fully Conformed to Christ. And really, the theme that I'm particularly looking at as we look at the subject of being fully conformed to, to Christ is the theme of fasting. And I just want to read uh, a verse that I opened with last week again. It's in Philippians chapter 3. And this is what Paul is writing. You know, Philippians is one of his last letters. He's probably writing it during his Roman imprisonment when he's there at the end of the book of Acts. This is, you know, the aged Paul. And this is what the aged Paul says. And he's thinking back upon his life, the first half of his life, the first 30 years, that was all about his rising to stardom in Judaism. And then the, the, the last 30 years that had just been all about being a witness for Christ all over the nations. And this ultimately, he says, is his one desire. In Philippians 3, verse 10, he says, he says, I count all of that former stuff that, that I was, you know, concerning my rising star in Judaism, I, I count that all as, as rubbish. And this is what I truly desire. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, know Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. You know, to, that I may know him, that, that word know is, is it's, it's a very intimate word. It has to do with a personal, experiential knowledge, not just knowledge of the mind. Paul, I'm sure, had all the scriptures memorized. He, he had that really well, and he had a renewed mind in many ways, and that is part of knowing God, knowing God in our mind. But it's also knowing God according to our heart. It's knowing God, right, according to our experiences, having our affections rightly set on him. And, and that's what was Paul's major desire, simply that he may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, which is the ultimate display of love, saying, I want to be conformed to that. It's like what Paul wrote in Romans 8. He said, in Romans 8, I think it's in verse 29, that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Now that will only fully be realized when we enter into the glories of heaven. Amen. I mean, I want to be more like Jesus Christ in this earth. Anyone, anyone here like me? I want that. I desire to be more like Christ, but I know that I'm never quite going to reach that level, right? But I know, as 1 John 3 says, that when I see him, I will be even as he is. And he goes on to say that he who has that hope, that he will one day be even as Christ is, he purifies himself even as Christ is pure. So that's what we're really going to be looking at this morning, is how... Do I, in the words of John the Baptist, say, he must increase and I must decrease, right? How do I get to that point where I am purifying myself of self so that the resurrection power of Christ might shine through me? How am I conformed more to the sufferings and death of Christ, of suffering love, that the resurrection power of Christ's life might shine through me in a greater way? And I mentioned that, that one way I believe that God gives us a help so we might more fully enter into just the blessing of who Christ is inside of us is he gives us the help of, of fasting. Now, I'll tell you what, you know, I've been preaching, I've been pastoring for, I think, 14 years now. And over the last 14 years, I can't really remember doing a message on fasting. Now, I'm not someone who harps on fasting a lot, to be honest with you. I've done a Wednesday message on fasting. Last year I did a Wednesday message on fasting, but I've never done prolonged Sunday sermons on fasting. I've mentioned fasting here and there, but never uh, a sermon that's fully devoted to fasting. And here I am doing one fully devoted to fasting this morning and, and, and one last Sunday. And, and, and I think it's good because I'm realizing, man, I, I've neglected this a little bit too much, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm making up for that a little bit now and saying, no, we're going to look at this subject of fasting. 
because it is actually uh, in Scripture quite a bit more than I realized, and even in the New Testament, quite a bit more than I realized. And I realized, you know what? This is something that is healthy and good for the Christian to engage in. So this is, I just want to remind you of a few points we covered last Sunday, a few biblical truths that we learned. And, and this was the first point that, that I made, which is simply this, right? That food is good, right? God created everything, and what did he say? It is very good. Our body is good, right? He likes healthy, strong bodies. He likes feasting with people. What did Jesus do? He was dining with tax collectors and sinners all the time, preaching the gospel to them. Everything is to be received with thanksgiving and prayer. So fasting is not done because God doesn't want us to take care of our bodies or because, um, you know, uh, he doesn't love us or we're trying to twist his arm to get into his favor. No, that is a, a pagan view of fasting. That's a wrong view of fasting. That's a religious view of fasting. That is not how fasting is construed in, in the scripture, okay? The second thing we looked at is this, is that Jesus had an expectation that his disciples would fast, okay? And this is something that struck me last year in a deeper way. I'm like, wow, you know, I didn't quite recognize this before. Like, he's expecting you and I to be people who fast just as much as he expects that you and I would be people who pray. And that's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, when he's talking about prayer and he gives the model prayer, when you pray, well, this is what he says in Matthew 6, 16. He says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, <laughs> for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So we're not supposed to be like the religious people who, who do it for a show and want to make everybody know, look how I'm fasting, look how wonderful I am. No, uh, that's not how we fast. We do it with absolute joy, okay? We can rejoice in the Lord at all times, even when you're abstaining from food. You know that? You can rejoice in the Lord? Yeah. I tell you what, if you're going to engage in some fasting here, I will encourage you, make sure you get your happy face on. Make sure you turn your joy music on and make sure you're rejoicing, okay? Don't make it a gloom time. Make it a happy time. More of you and less of me. Jesus also said this in Matthew 9.15. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So, I mean, the flesh, in a sense, it does mourn, but the spirit rejoices, right? So your flesh might be mourning, but your spirit will be rejoicing. And Jesus says that there would come a time when the bridegroom is taken away, when his disciples would Fast. So here again is a second expectation, just in the Gospel of Matthew alone, that Jesus expected that you and I would be people who fast. Now, um, there are, in, in terms of the person's Christian's life, we have the most historical detail about who is that? It's Paul. And one thing we're told about Paul, uh, we're shown from the very moment he became a Christian, you know what the first thing he did was for three days? He fasted <laughs> until Ananias came and, and prayed for him. He was fasting for three days. And then this is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. He said, In weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, so that seems to be involuntary hunger and thirst, like when he's shipwrecked and stuff, in fastings often. This is voluntary, okay? Voluntary hunger and thirst in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So Paul uh, was saying that his life was a life that had a lot of fasting. We don't just see him fasting the first three days he's saved, but actually once you get to Acts chapter 13 and he's there establishing the work in Antioch with uh, Barnabas and with Lucius and with Niger and some of the other great prophets there in the city, what, what we're told is that they collectively as a group 
were praying and fasting together. So there wasn't just individual fasting, but there was communal fasting. That means it, it isn't always wrong for some people to know you're fasting, right? When Jesus makes that point, he's just make, making a point of don't make a show to everybody that you're fasting. But it's okay for some people to know you're fasting. All the leaders in Antioch knew they were fasting. They were praying together for a purpose, and then God spoke in that moment, remember? The Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. You know, this again is just a lessening of the self, so we're more open to how God might want to lead and guide and direct. You know, another thing we saw last Sunday is this, is that true fasting will be about love, justice, and healing breaking forth in our communities. True fasting is about love, justice, and healing breaking out in our communities. Meaning this, it's not primarily about a fast of bread and water. What God is really concerned about, and he shows in the Isaiah chapter 58, is that he wants us to fast our works of the flesh, right? He wants us to flat fast our wickedness. He wants to, uh, us to fast our oppression of others, our hatred towards others. And that should be combined whenever we do a food fast. Let me read what Isaiah 58, 6 says. He says, it, this is what God says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that, the yoke, and, and, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, then, your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall, bring, shall spring forth speedily. He's talking about not just individual healing, but communal healing. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So how I, how I ended last Sunday as we were looking at this is... Um, I mentioned that we are heading into the traditional season of Lent, which is the 40 days prior to Easter. Easter this year is on March 31st, and Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, which is this coming Wednesday this week, which is Valentine's Wednesday, which I think is pretty cool because I think it's just a, a greater sinking into the love of God. And what I, what I want us to do, um, and this is totally voluntary, right? Nobody is bound to do anything, but as you purpose in your heart, I want to challenge us all at some time during this 40 period, maybe you do something for the whole 40 days, maybe you do something for part of the 40 days, but I want to challenge you and say, maybe you should set part of this time apart for fasting, for fasting. And one thing I mentioned that I wanted us to do collectively as a group during this time is that if, we, if, if some of you do participate in any kind of a food fast, is that whatever you would have spent on a meal, that you set aside that money and say, I'm going to give toward a communal benevolence fund. And that on Easter, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a second offering where we give all of the money that was set aside during this season of Lent, and we're going to use 100% of the funds for benevolence for the church, for helping out those who are in need, for helping out uh, those in need in the church, those in need in the community, doing a community outreach event here at the church. And that's what I'd like to do. And I'm going to talk about a little bit more how, how you might think about doing that, what you might do over the course of uh, these 40 days. And that's what I'm going to explain really the rest of the message about 11 different kinds of fasts you might want to consider participating in, okay? that are all biblical different kinds of fasts. But before I get in that, let me just mention this idea of Ash Wednesday again and, and, and the idea of Lent again. And it really just stems from this idea of a church calendar, okay? So when did this church calendar start to become more celebrated? You know, I think when I think about the church calendar, I think of, you know, pretty much every denomination and pretty much every non-denominational church even We'll celebrate at least Christmas and Easter, right? We celebrate Christmas and Easter, not because we know this is 
the day that Jesus was born, and this is the day that Jesus died and rose from the grave. But we celebrate it because we understand that they are significant events that should be celebrated at least once a year communally, right? And so we're going to make sure that our lives are patterned according to these holidays. What does holiday come from? It just comes from holy day. We're going to celebrate our lives according to these holy days. And so what happened in the fourth century is something really cool happened. The most powerful man in the world, he got saved. He got saved. His name was Constantine. And what happened was that from that time forward, not only did he legalize Christianity, but in half a century later, uh, Rome said, you know what? Christianity isn't just legalized, but we're going to be a Christian uh, empire. We're going to be a Christian nation. Christianity is going to be the thing that we as a nation promote. And so one thing that happened during that fourth and fifth century, that, that period of time, was they said, okay, well, this means that we need to structure the way that we do life a little bit differently. And so our civil calendar that is structured around a lot of pagan holidays, we're going to structure them around now uh, different Christian themes that are important. Things like Christmas, things like Easter, things like the season of Advent, where you consider not just Christ's first Advent at Christmas, but his last Advent at the end of history that leads up to Christmas. Or a theme like Lent, which is this might be a, a nice time where we more fully enter into the sufferings of, of Christ, like Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that we might know the power of the resurrection when, when Easter Sunday hits. And so it might be a good season of fasting. And so, you know, they were working all that stuff out in the 4th and 5th and 6th centuries, and, and Christians really up to the present have decided, you know what, uh, this seems something healthy, more than following the civil calendar, like, you know, instead of celebrating at church MLK Junior Day and President's Day and uh, Juneteenth and Independence Day and Mother's Day and Father's Day and all of the civil national holidays, none of which are bad, they're saying, well, maybe we should celebrate Christian stuff, right? Because this orders our affections even more right, because why not be excited about all of the, the great Christian themes rather than the national holiday themes? You get what I'm saying here? Okay, so what I'm saying is basically this, is that this is where the idea of the church calendar came from, is that I want my holy days to be based more in scriptures and celebrating biblical figures rather than based in national uh, commemorating events and national figures. And so, I say all that to say that uh, one thing that they added was this uh, time of Lent, this 40 days to Easter, because 40 was a very significant period of fasting in the Bible. For instance, Moses fasted 40 days three times. Elijah fasted 40 days once. Jesus fasted 40 days at the beginning of his ministry after he was baptized in the Jordan. And they said, what we're going to do to mark off this time of fasting is we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, um, mark ourselves with ash. We're going to mark it. Why, did they, why would they mark themselves with ash? Well, basically what they were doing when they marked themselves with ash was they were following what they saw in Scripture throughout the Old Testament. And even in a statement of Jesus is that a lot of times when people fasted in the Old Testament, it was coupled with sackcloth and ashes. So, for instance, when Jonah was sent by God to preach to the wicked empire Nineveh, right? And he didn't want to go because he knew God would be gracious to them. But he, he went and God gave them, it says, 40 days to repent. And the moment they heard that message uttered from Jonah's mouth, you know what it says happened? It says this in Jonah 3, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Okay? So uh, for 40 days, uh, you know, here they are. They're fasting, repenting, and here's the king. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of humbleness, right? I'm no king of glory. I'm sitting in ashes. Uh, that's my ultimately who I am. I am a perishing human being. I'm no God, 
And the ashes remind me of that, that I'm dust, and I need to be reminded who I am in God's hand. I'm, I'm just his creature. I'm just dust. It's a similar thing to what happens in the book of Job. You know, in the book of Job, um, God shows up at the end of the book of Job. And he gives these long speeches at the end of Job. And Job is just struck in awe at the majesty of God. And this is what it says Job does after hearing these speeches by God. <laughs> it says this, Job 42, 6, Therefore I abhor myself. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, I was far more pride-filled pride -filled than I realized. I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and what? And ashes. And you know what happens right after that? God restores everything to Job, double of everything he had lost after that time of fasting and, and ashes. Um, you know what happens at, uh, towards uh, the end of Daniel's life. Daniel is in Shushan, he's in, and he's, this is the capital of, of Persia. And uh, he, he, he realizes, this is in Daniel chapter 9, he realizes that the 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied about, that they were to be in exile, had come to an end. And so he stands up as this high priestly figure, and, and he goes before God on behalf of all of the people, and, 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 and he, 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 he pleads on their behalf. And, and this is what it says in Daniel 9.3, how he does it. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So here is Daniel Right, this high up official in Persia, and he humbles himself just like the king of Nineveh did, and he gets in ashes, and he's fasting, and he prays. And you know what ultimately happens right after this happens? Cyrus gives the word that Israel is to go back to, um, to the land, right? Jesus mentions um, uh, ashes as well. In Matthew 11, 21, this is what he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he's saying, you realize if I was this miracle working man doing all these signs representing who I am as God and Messiah and I was in Tyre and Sidon doing these things, man, they would have abhorred themselves just like Job, and they would have repented, and they would have just realized their dust. They would have been in ashes, and they, they would have recognized me and come to me and, wow, found new life. So to have uh, repentance in ashes, is an, it, it's an outward sign, right? The ashes is simply, when, whenever they would put ashes, it, it, it was just the outward sign of the inward heart repentance, or as Joel puts it, the inward rending of the heart. And, and many times God has outward rituals adorn what he is doing inwardly in his people, right? For instance, when, when people are, are get saved, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to get baptized in water, right? <laughs> Why? Because it, it was an outward sign that they have been buried with him in baptism, that they rise to newness of life, and that all of their sins have been washed away like in a bathtub, right? Or like when we go and pray for the sick, what does James say to do? It says that we're not just to pray for the sick, but we're to anoint them with oil. Why? Because oil throughout the Old Testament is what? It is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That when someone is anointed with oil, it's like the power of the Spirit comes on. And when you pray in the name of the Lord, the Lord will raise them up. So he gives water, he gives oil. And, and throughout the scripture, we see even this sign of ashes as a way of humbling one, oneself, recognizing who we are uh, in light of who God is, and entering more deeply into his love and his life. Amen. You know, um, to have an ash placed on you says that you are committed to put the flesh to death during this season and recognize in a greater way who you are in Christ. You know, Paul says the outward man is perishing day by day, but the inward man is, is being ever renewed. God says in Genesis, he tells Adam and Eve, right, from dust you are and to dust you shall return. 
To have an ash placed on you is, is just to be reminded of that. It's, it's to be reminded of that mortality. And it's to be reminded that what matters is the inner strength that resides inside of me. It's, it's all about dying to self and increasing in love to others. To be conformed to the death of Jesus Christ. That we love one another even as he loved us. How was that? Dying on the cross. That's why Jesus says, what, if anyone desires to be my disciple, what must he do? Take up his cross daily and follow me. What does fasting help you do? It helps you pick up your cross. It helps you pick up your cross. <laughs> because anything, right, that, that we're most addicted to, it's food. I know you guys don't want to hear this, right? <laughs> but we got to be joyful about it, right? Remember, I'm not telling anyone to fast. You fast as the Lord leads you, but I'm, I'm showing you. I just Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at 11 different kinds of fasts in Scripture. And you ask the Lord, and you say, Lord, you know, how might you want me to, to, to fast? It doesn't have to be during this time. I just think it's a good time to fast. You might say, I'll do it later. That's fine, too. But let's look at the first kind of fast, okay? The first one is real easy. I think anybody can do this. It's a night fast. A night fast. Now, you might, I'm, there might be some people here who get up, have their midnight snack every night. You might have a difficult one. You might have a difficult time with this one, right? But I think by the grace of God, you can do it. And this is uh, the fast that we see of King Darius. If any of you were here with us in, uh, a few Wednesdays ago, we watched uh, a movie on the book of Daniel. And uh, King Darius, remember, he was tricked into throwing Daniel into the lion's den. And um, what happened was, you know, he couldn't reverse his decree. That was the law he had made his decree. He couldn't even reverse his own decree. So what he does, after being tricked into throwing Daniel into the lion's den, we're told this in Daniel 6, verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. So he fasted from food and for sleep all night long. <laughs> So, um, you know what? And what happened, right? Daniel, God sent his angels, shut the mouths of the lions, and the guys who tricked Darius into throwing Daniel into the lion's den were thrown into the lion's den. Um, but we see a night fast. He fasted all night. Okay? Try that out. The second kind of fast we see is a day fast. You know, Israel was going, undergoing a civil war. They had lots of civil wars. And this particular civil war was just with one of the tribes, Benjamin. Really sad civil war. And Israel, in fighting Benjamin, because Benjamin were great warriors. They had a lot of left-handed men who were really skilled with slingshots. And after losing a lot of men on two separate days, they decided to fast and seek the Lord as what to do. This is what it says in Judges 20, verse 26. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. So, from the time you wake up until evening. Then they had dinner, apparently. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Okay, here we see a day fast. You know what happens after that day fast? After that fast and prayer, they were given a new strategy and they won the battle. Many times through fasting, we can gain victory over the enemy. We will see this, especially uh, on Wednesday night when uh, I give a message on the transfiguration of Jesus. And, and the point of this fast was that it was until evening. It was a day fast. So if you struggle with the idea of fasting, say, maybe I'll do a day fast until evening, right? And this is actually really popular, not just in Christian circles, but in the secular world. It's very popular among doctors. Everyone's recommending it today, right? They call it intermittent fasting, right? So you might fast for 16 hours or 18 hours or 20 hours a day, and this is actually, apparently a lot of studies are showing that this is actually very healthy for the body and can even reverse a lot of different, um, you know, health problems that people have. So a lot of people are are, are excited to do that. They lose weight. They keep the body cleansed. 
uh, and they do it for health reasons. Well, we have more reasons to fast than just health reasons. Thank God for all the health reasons he attaches to fasting. But thank God that the primary reason is that we are conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, I've been watching all these, uh, I've been watching some videos on fasting just from different uh, doctors and people who have done fasts and all different length. And it's just amazing that you see it. And a lot of these people I'm watching, they're not, they're not even Christian fasts. And I'm just, I'm just looking at like some of the, the health benefits from these people. And it just, the transformation you see people go through over a fast, it, it, it has caused me to think that maybe, maybe the greatest, you know, health improvement strategy that God has given us naturally is just fasting. It, it does wonders for the body. It like cleans up all of your broken cells. It eats all the bad cells. It, it gives a total reset to your body. Just like I was saying last Sunday, it's like a spring cleaning for you, right? And in, in God's temple, you say, I just want to clean it up. <laughs> And it's like, you know, I think, uh, you know, sometimes we're, we, uh, you know, we pray for all our health issues, but sometimes we just need to be better stewards of our body. And, and one way we can be a better steward is through doing, doing body resets like, like fasting. Now, I'm not telling anyone how to fast or, or what to do. I'm just saying look into it. Just see, this is how God created your body. This is one of the blessings he's attached to fasting, and one of those blessings indeed is uh, I think, a restoration of health and even longevity of life. A third kind of fast, the, the, the day fast, the night fast, a third kind of fast in Scripture is the 24-hour fast. So um, we see this uh, with Israel under the prophet Samuel uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And um, in that story, they put away all their false gods and they cry out to him and God delivers them from their enemies. This is what it says in 1 Samuel 7, verse 6. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Um, there are probably a lot of other 24-hour uh, fasts in, in Scripture, but a lot of them are just unspecified lengths of time. The fourth kind of fast we see is a three-day fast. We see this um, several times, actually. Uh, one of the first times we see it is in the book of Esther. So in Esther, Haman, right, Haman is the great enemy of the Jews there in Persia. He had schemed to get the king to sign a wicked decree that would destroy all the Jews through the Persian Empire. Well, what was the Jews' response to that holocaust? Mordecai told Esther that she needed to do something. So she decided she would risk her life, but before risking her life, she said, I'm going to call a three-day communal fast. I'm not going to just fast with all of my maids, but I want everybody here in the capital city to fast with me and pray because I'm gonna, about to do something very risky. And this is what it says in Esther 4, verse 16. She said, go gather all the Jews who are, she's talking to her uncle here, her cousin, Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. Um, so uh, it appears that they didn't even drink water, too. I don't know if that just meant drinking other substances, but it could have been a total fast of food and water. Night or day, my maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. She knew she was doing something against the law. She could only go to the king, even though it was her husband. She could only go to the king if he called her. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. <laughs> but she says, first off, we're going to give this all into the hands of God, right? <laughs> I'm going to go in the power and the strength of God, not in my flesh. I'm going to go in the power and the strength of God. And so at the end of her three days, you know, she approaches the king. And the king, the most powerful man in the world, what does he do? He stretches out her scepter as a sign of favor ultimately granting her request and seeing Jews throughout the entire uh, Persian Empire were saved and Haman was hung on the gallows that he, uh, you know, constructed for Mordecai. <laughs> it was a communal fasting and prayer of all the Jews in Shushan that prepared them for that victory. So again, sometimes communal fasting is okay. We see it here, we'll see it later in some other stories we're going to look at. We see it in the New Testament with Paul in the city of Antioch. We also see three-day uh, fasts, um, uh, for instance, by Ezra. He fasted for three days because he mourned all of 
the, the men who were coming back to Israel who had married foreign wives. And it wasn't that they married foreign wives. That wasn't the big deal. It was that they married foreign wives who were unconverted. Uh, his big deal that they were unequally yoked religiously and all their children were being trained not knowing Hebrew. And this was a big deal. So he fasted uh, for three days and cried out to God over that issue. That's in Ezra chapter 10. Uh, Paul, of course, fasted for three days after meeting Christ on the road to Damascus. Um, you know, three days is like the hardest point of the fast. They say that day three of a fast and day four of the fast is the most difficult time getting through day two, three, and four. But once you get through that, it actually becomes a little easier. But a lot of stuff can happen in you, both spiritually and, and physically and, and emotionally, right, just in a three-day fast. Of course, all of this fasting is coupled with what? It's coupled with prayer. It's coupled with joy. Say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to rejoice even though my body's mourning. I'm going to rejoice in the Spirit. <laughs> the fifth fast is this. It's a seven-day fast. We see uh, multiple seven-day fasts in Scripture. King Saul, uh, all the people who followed him, uh, they fasted for seven days after he died. When, when David, uh, remember, committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba, and she was pregnant, she had a child, and the baby was going to die, we're told that uh, David, he fasted for seven days, and he cried out to God, and then the baby died. And what did he do? We're told that he got up, and he cleaned his face, and he ate. Well, why? You know, he, he, he well, he, he didn't quite get, um, he didn't get what he wanted, but God still did a deep work in him during those seven days. He rose as a different man. This was a, a season of repentance that David was going through where, where he wrote his great psalm, Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned. You know, asking God to blot out the, the sin of of, of committing adultery, of, of sending Uriah to his death, of all of these very wicked things he did. And even though ultimately that baby wasn't saved, he still rose up and he praised the Lord anyway. And he said, God did a work in me, even though what I was fasting for necessarily, I didn't get the answer I wanted. God still did a work in me, okay? The, 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 the next the sixth thing we see is a 10-day fast in Scripture, and this 10-day fast was only a partial fast. Now we're getting to the partial fast. Can anyone say amen, the partial fast? <laughs> now, I know a lot of people, right, they're afraid of full water fasts. I understand that. But, you know, there are uh, other kinds of fasts that are, what are called partial fasts in Scripture. And so a lot of people like this one. This is what we see in the book of Daniel, right? When Daniel and his friends, when they go to Babylon... And they said, I'm not going to eat that meat that's sacrificed to idols, that wine that's, you know, sacrificed in, to idols. So what do they do? They, they, they say, uh, bring me just vegetables. And um, this is what it says in Daniel 1, verse 12. Please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fit, fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate at the portion of the king's delicacies. So here we see this transformation over the course of ten days. And it was just vegetables and water. And it was a, a way that they were serving the Lord. And, you know, you might want to consider doing a fast like that. There is a 14-day fast in Scripture. We saw this when we were going through the book of Acts. Remember in Acts 27, where all the men on Paul's ship were intentionally fasting in order to conserve food because they're in the middle of this really grave storm and they all think they're going to die. And at the end of that fast of 14 days, we're told that an angel appears to Paul and he spoke a prophetic word about their deliverance, right? This is... Uh, what it says in Acts 27, 33. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. And so they, of course, basically, uh, they eat bread. Paul blesses it. It's almost like he's sharing the gospel with them about the broken body of Jesus. And they're saved. They're rescued. They come to the island of Malta. And Paul has one of his most powerful ministry experiences of all his entire ministry. Remember that? A viper bites him, and what happens? Everyone on the island's like he's going to die any minute. Nothing happens to him. What, what happens? He, he goes to the most powerful man, uh, ruler, on the entire island, 
and, and his father is laying sick with a fever, and he heals him. And they see that and say, wow, and all the other sick people on the island, they come. They come right there, and every single person who was sick on that island was healed. We're not told of anything else like that in Paul's ministry where everyone in a region was healed, but it was here, and it was after a 14-day fast, which I, I, I think that's kind of interesting. And then, and then there's a 21-day fast in Scripture. This one is also in the book of Daniel. It's in Daniel chapter 10, and it's also a partial fast. Um, so this is why, you know, some Christians talk about a Daniel fast, and they're usually not talking about the 10-day fast. They're usually talking about the 21-day fast. And, and this is... Uh, what it says in Daniel 10, verse 2. So Daniel had full fast, too. In Daniel 9, he's fasting everything, food and water. But in Daniel 10, this is a partial fast. It says this, Daniel 10, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat no, or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And at the end of those three weeks, you know what happened? Well, we're told that Daniel has this powerful spiritual vision over the Tigris River. And he sees this blue man on the waters, and he has these powerful messages of what's going to happen until the time of Christ. And it's just, that all happened at the end of, well, this 21-day period of um, no pleasant food. I don't know what that fully means. I think some people, I don't know, I don't know what that some people think that means vegetables and stuff like that, maybe. Just no pleasant food, I mean. F you can fast pleasant food, you know that? We can fast going out to nice restaurants, you know? Maybe that would be a fast, you know, saying for, for the next month I'm, I'm just not going to eat out. And all the money I save, I'm just going to put aside so I can help someone who's more in need. I'm going to fast pleasant food. <laughs> okay, the ninth thing we see is a 40-day fast. Uh, a 40-day fast. Moses fasted for 40 days three times. I mentioned Elijah and Jesus did too. Let me just read what it says about Jesus' fast. Luke 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Who would here be hungry after 40 days? Jesus was hungry, and that's when the devil came at him the hardest, right? Turn these stones into bread. No, Jesus wouldn't do it. Thank God. Now, um, I don't, you know, I don't expect anybody here to do a 40-day fast. No water, <laughs> no food and no water, right? But hey, you know what? If you want to do it, go right ahead. And I'll tell you what, I believe you come out, and power, just like Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. You know, the last thing, the tenth thing is this. There's many unspecified day fasts. For instance, we're told of how King Ahab fasted after he was confronted by Elijah for killing Nabal. This is what 1 Kings 21, 27 says. So it was when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me, because he has humbled himself before me. I will not bring the calamity in his days, in the days of his son. I will bring the calamity on his house. Um, you know, Ahab, it's interesting, because Ahab, of course, he was married to uh, Jezebel. And, um, you know, Jezebel, there's nothing good said about Jezebel in the Bible, but Ahab, he kind of has some seesaw moments. He's mostly bad, but he has his times of turning to the Lord. And it, I think maybe, uh, may, maybe Ahab will see in heaven, you know, one day. Huh? Um, probably not Jezebel, but... Um, amazing that even a king like Ahab could humble himself and fast. And he experienced the grace of the Lord. Uh, you know, we have, there's also the fasting of Nehemiah, uh, Daniel, and Paul that all lasted for unspecified time periods. There's the fasting of King Jehoshaphat, which is unspecified time period. And that also was a corporate fast. When he's surrounded by a great army from the Moabites and Ammonites, he knew he was incapable of winning the battle in his own strength. 
So what does he do? We're not going to win this battle on the own strength. All my soldiers, you know what I want you to do? The opposite of what the world tells soldiers to do. I want you to eat nothing and be weak. He proclaims a fast, right? 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. In all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Verse 17. You will not need to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Amen. So that is what we really recognize when we fast. We recognize that the Lord is with us, that I'm not going to live life in my own strength according to the flesh, in my own power. I'm going to live according to being crucified with Christ Jesus. <laughs> Participating in his suffering, being conformed to his death, that I might know the power of his resurrection. Yeah. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Hmm. You know, Scripture is filled with many stories of fasting of many different varieties of all different time periods. And during those periods of fasting, we see all sorts of things happen. Things like being prepared for ministry, being given the wisdom that was needed, rending one's heart in repentance, seeking victory and deliverance, worshiping the Lord. Jesus also taught, you know, when he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, that certain demons could only come out through prayer and fasting. When we are at a, at a place of deep dependence on the Lord, mighty things happen. And the last thing I want to mention this is this is an 11th point, and then we'll We'll close with communion. Is this there's also non-food fasts. Okay? So um, and 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 what I wanted to mention here is, is something from 1 Corinthians 7. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, Paul writes this. He says, Do not deprive, he's talking to husbands and wives, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting. And prayer. You know, apparently when you're on prolonged fasts, it's really even hard, hard to do the, the sexual thing anyway. That you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here we see that when they were giving themselves over to fasting and prayer by mutual consent, they were also fasting what? That sexual intimacy for a period of time. And this, this shows me that there can be other things in life that we can abstain from from periods of time that cause us to draw nearer to the Lord. So if, if Paul is encouraging husbands and wife to have periods where they have fasting and prayer, where they're drawing near to the Lord, well, I think there might be other things that we could consider abstaining from as well, not just food, for instance, right? I know there are a lot of things in life that take up our time, that take up our addictions, right? You know, whether, you know, so some people, for instance, say, you know, I'm going to fast social media, right? Uh, I'm not going to go on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. I'm not going to go on YouTube. I'm not going to, you know, maybe you have an addiction to that, addiction to your phone. You say, you know, I'm just going to fast that for a while. I'm going to, instead of having my phone in my hand, I'm going to have the Bible in my hand. Or I'm going to have a, a book in my hand, right? Or I'm going to... I'm going to go out and, and see how I can help somebody or, you know, I'm going to try to reorder my life a little bit differently because I'm just too addicted to some of these things. Um, you know, uh, so maybe you want to consider fasting something uh, like that. Um, maybe it's television, you know, maybe it's games on your phone. I don't know. Maybe on. on uh, yeah, right. Sports. <laughs> uh, Maybe nobody should watch the Super Bowl today, all right? You know what? I think I got a word from the Lord today. No, just kidding. Um, um, but, you know, here's the thing. The last thing I want to say is this, right? Is that we don't fast. We're not people who fast like the world fasts. We're not fasting because we want to lose weight or, you know, just because we want to see health benefits from it. Thank God for the health benefits that come from it. But we fast because we, we simply want to spend more time with the Lord, right? What did Paul say? You, it's fasting and prayer. Fasting is almost always coupled throughout the Bible with prayer. So one thing you do when you set apart part of the time, uh, whether that's you're setting apart food, whether it's you're setting apart, you know, uh, 
social media, TV, whatever like that, devoted to prayer. What if you devoted, and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote, instead of watching this, I'm going to devote 30 minutes a day to prayer for the next 40 days during Lent. And I'm going to fast that. You know, that, that, that's a wonderful fast. You do that. Maybe, you know, maybe you say, um, I can fast. There's 21 meals uh, a, a, a week for most people, right? And who eat three meals a day? And there's seven weeks. I'm going to fast three of those meals a week. Okay? So instead of eating 21 meals, I'm just going to eat 18 meals. Or however, maybe you eat 15 meals a week. You say, I'm just going to eat 12 meals a week. And, um, you know, whatever I would have spent on that, I'm going to set aside to give to a benevolence fund that I can give to someone who is in more need than I am in, right? And, and I can see justice and, and hope and love go out to those people, right? So I, that's what I want you to think about. That's something I want you to consider as we head uh, in, in to, to Wednesday here, to Ash Wednesday, is to consider maybe there is something you want to give up during this time. Whether it's just you're going to do some more intermittent fasting, whether it's a more prolonged fast, or whether it's fasting something other than food, consider it. Consider it the next three days. Ask God about it. Pray about it. Say, God, I want to be transfigured in this time period. I want to be changed. I want to be conformed to Christ Jesus. So show me what you can do through me. And I would just want to leave you lastly with this verse. This is what, what Paul says. And he says, basically, he says, I'm not controlled by my outer man. He said, no, no, I'm controlled by my inner man. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I preach to others, I should myself become disqualified. You know, we should know how to subdue our bodies, right? You, you know, what was God's first command to Adam and Eve? He, uh, uh, be fruitful and multiply, right? Yeah, that one, uh, that was nice. And then, uh, have dominion over the world, right? How are you going to have dominion over the world if you can't even have dominion over yourself? And one way we learn to have dominion over ourselves is by beating my body into subjection. Right? Saying, I'm not going to be controlled by your lust, body. I know you're crying out, you're crying out, I want food. Say, no, I'm going to rejoice, hallelujah, no you don't. Right? I'm going to rejoice. We're going to have people start dancing up here who've been fasting. Right? Because we're happy in the Lord, we rejoice in the Lord at all times. This is something about drawing near to Jesus. Like I mentioned last Sunday, the best kind of fasting is just when you're just, man, you're just spending time with the Lord, and you don't even know the time is passing. You're like, man, I missed a meal. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? That's, that's how fasting should be. We should be absorbed with the Lord, with his love for us, with his care for us. And, um, you know, this is not about trying to get into God's favor. It's all about trying to get just to know the Lord, like Paul said, that I may know him, right? And that I may be a blessing to my neighbor around me that righteousness and justice and love and healing would spread in my life and to the community around me. Amen? So we're going to take communion.